I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Tonight I want to talk uh, about uh, an extraordinary moment uh, in the kind of 18 months to two years after the end of the Second World War. And that's really the this explosion of female suffrage and female political activism, um, not just in uh, the, the United States and, and Great Britain and first world countries, uh, which is something we're, you know, part of the narrative that we're, we're kind of uh, aware of, but really uh, around the globe, um, from places as diverse as Iran and Egypt and, uh, and the Philippines. Um, and the, the, the kind of the reasons for this and you see this kind of from uh, the the wealthy countries of the world, uh, the the victorious countries who had won the war, uh, to the defeated countries, to countries that had been um, uh, affected by the war. They'd either supplied uh, labour or resources, or they'd been occupied. Um, the 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 scope of this uh, wave of um, female empowerment and politics 
is quite extraordinary uh, and, and really, really diverse. Which is why I wanted to talk about this. It's a very interesting phenomena. Um, and one can, you know, the, the uniting factor throughout all of these countries is the mobilisation or, or that that uh, the war brings. Even countries where uh, the um, the country wasn't a kind of a, a, a direct combatant. Um, again, for example, uh, a country like Egypt that was uh, where Allied armies fought over Egyptian territory, um, though uh, Egypt itself wasn't on either side during the conflict or not, not, not kind of uh, more nominally. But the population was mobilised by the effect of the war. The um, female labour was mobilised as, as never before uh, and required by the Allied powers. Uh, and war industries were stimulated. And it's e- even where you don't have female combatants or um, women who were uh, mobilised militarily, uh, everywhere, um, almost everywhere, you have a mass mobilisation of female labour. And this seems to be... Um, the uniting factor. So we're going to look at uh, Keith Lowe's brilliant book. If you haven't read it, get uh, The Fear and the Freedom, Why the Second World War Still Matters. It's a stupendously uh, good piece of historical writing. Um, and it's it's a really um, an examination, particularly in this instance, of the rise and the fall of um, women's, uh, po- women's political engagement um, by the the late 1940s uh, and into the 1950s. So Keith Slow writes, The Second World War was an awakening for women all around the world. Whether there, uh, there was fighting, wherever there was fighting, women not only supported their menfolk but uh, often fought alongside them. In France, as well as serving uh, on committees, uh, they were liaison agents, arms smugglers, explosive experts, spies, propagandists, fighters and assassins. Obviously, this is in the, the French resistance. It was organisations staffed and headed by women that rescued Jewish children by transporting them to Switzerland or to remote areas of, of the Haute-Loire. The co-founder of the combat movement was the feminist campaigner Bertie Albrecht, um, the Liberation Sud movement was co-founded by Lucy Aubrach, who famously rescued her husband from the Gestapo in a vicious gun battle, despite being pregnant at the time. Women in the resistance carried out all the same roles as men, and when they were caught, they often suffered exactly the same fate, torture, imprisonment, execution. This pattern was reproduced across Europe, where there were, the participation of women was far greater than uh, in, in France. In Italy, according to figures, more than 25% of the resistance members were women, including 35,000 who took active com- an active combat role. In Poland, there were 40,000 women members of the clandestine uh, Home Army, and in Yugoslavia, up to 100,000 women became, Tito's nas- uh, became soldiers in Tito's National Liberation Army. In Asia, too, women played a huge role uh, um, in the hook resistance against the Japanese rule in the Philippines, as well as in, in the Indonesian defiance against both Japanese and the Dutch. Among the major allied nations, 
hundreds of thousands of women were employed as nurses, naval auxiliaries and air force auxiliaries. The Soviet forces included more than half a million women who saw active service at the front. So it's interesting in the case of the of Indonesia there that you have um, women and of course men involved in two anti-colonial struggles, the anti-Japanese one and the anti-Dutch um, anti-colonial struggle with even some involvement by, by Great Britain as well. But war is not the is not only about fighting, and women prove themselves in many other ways. In France, with 1.5 million French soldiers in captivity, women began to run not only the nation's households, but also uh, many of its farms and small businesses. I, I guess what one of the things that the the war does is it disrupts the patterns of uh, everyday life uh, in. Uh, occupied countries in non-occupied countries even in uh, Axis countries uh, women were called upon to contribute in ways that they had never done before by you know mid, mid, mid to late in, in the war and so what this does is after the war in some places not, not everywhere um, but in some places um, it presents historic opportunities for uh, women and in, and uh, other um, oppressed or minority groups to be able to exercise some of the some of the gains that they've made during the war and to take advantage of the chaos that the war um, that, that, that the war presents. French factories thronged with women, and in 1942 there were so many support, so many women working in the French railways that the prefect of Toulouse complained that female clerks were beginning to outnumber male ones. The same was true in many countries. Millions of women who'd never worked before became land girls and office girls and factory workers in every kind of industry. In the USA, a new image of female strength was glamorised in wartime propaganda, Rosie the Riveter, who built the aircraft and the Liberty ships that kept the country fighting. Because of the war, the myth of the passive housebound woman was undermined almost everywhere. According to the former resistance fighter Denise Breton, the atmosphere of hope and transformation generated by the end of the war in France created a new woman, accustomed to standing up for her rights and determined to change the world. Others like René Carfellier um, claimed that it had also created a new kind of man, particularly in resistance circles. The partnership with women changed the mentality of men in the resistance, he wrote. They, re they showed themselves to be our equals. At the same time, the myth of the heroic man was also undermined, particularly in those parts of the world where men had failed to live up to the stereotype. Among the many defeats of the war, wrote one Berlin woman in 1945, is the defeat of the male sex. Some women in wartime France appear to have felt the same way. Marguerite Gonet, the mother of nine, was arrested in 1942 for leading a resistance cell in the, in the Isère. When asked by the military tribunal why she'd taken up arms, she replied, quite simply, Colonel, because the men had dropped them. I guess there's a, a sort of like a, a slightly interesting parallel if you look at the experience of uh, the coronavirus. Almost everywhere in the world, certain old certainties about, particularly about how we live, how we work, and 
uh, how we function as a society, whether you're talking about Great Britain or China or France or America or wherever else. These certainties have certainly have been shaken. The extent to which uh, older values towards work and leisure and money and all the other stuff, consumerism, all, the, all these kinds of things, and probably a whole bunch of stuff around gender. Um, the extent to which these old values reassert themselves remains to be seen. Maybe they'll be very successful in doing so and we'll all go back to the way we lived. I suspect not. However, there was a concerted effort, as we will see, in many parts of the world to return uh, particular patriarchal control uh, back to kind of its, its sort of pre-war status quo. Keith Lowe writes, In such an atmosphere, it's not surprising that women felt a new confidence after the war, or that so many brand new women's organisations started up around the world. In Egypt, there was a newly formed Bint El Nil, Daughters of the Nile, which campaigned for changes to the law that made women subordinate to their husbands and fathers. In 1951, a group of around 1,500 women even stormed the parliament building. In Indonesia, there, were, there was Geris, another brand new women's organisation which coordinated boycotts and mass demonstrations for all kinds of causes, including an end to polygamy. Meanwhile, the Federation of Brazilian Women started in 1949, campaigning not only for equal pay, but also for the right to clean water, adequate food and housing. Back in France, Françoise Leclerc's UFF was soon to join. Was uh, was soon joined um, by the um, uh, by the new international movement, the Women's International Democratic Federation, formed in Paris in 1945 by women from 40 countries. It would grow to become one of the most influential women's organisations in the post-war world. So. One of the ways that we, we sort of tend to think, uh, or the ways it is, it, we, t we tend to teach uh, women's movements, is that after World War II, sort of nothing really happened until the 1960s, and then people like Betty Friedan, um, and then later on, uh, Jermaine Greer, and um, um, a generation from the sort of the 60s to the 70s of um, activists. Um, pointed out that women were oppressed and all of a sudden, you know, sort of things, things kind of occur. Uh, and it's a very Anglo-American-centric uh, sort of story. But when you hear of, at the end of the Second World War, Egyptian, Brazilian, Indonesian women's movements demanding the sorts of um, radical changes. I mean, they're not actually particularly radical changes. Wanting clean water is not a, a radical thing to want, um, but or, or the, an end to polygamy. Um, but uh, but but in the context of the time, it's it's quite radical. And these are organised, highly motivated, and well led. Um, uh, in sort of uh, insurrections in some cases against patriarchal control it, it really does sort of disrupt that kind of rather complacent western sense that we have uh, about uh, where sort of you know the, the second wave of feminism sort of stems from 
In all of these cases, of course, there's there's a swift and massive reaction against them, and many of these uh, m- many of these struggles are unfortunately crushed. On the back of all this activity and the occasional dramatic trans um, and, and the occasional dramatic transformations in the public uh, in, in public opinion that came with it, women began to win all kinds of new rights for themselves. Foremost amongst them was the right to vote. In many parts of Europe, this right had already been won in the aftermath of the First World War. But in France, women were not granted the vote until 1944. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The role played by women in resistance was used as a justification. If women could fight alongside men, the argument went, then they could should at least have a say in whether their nation went to war in the first place. Shortly after French women were granted the vote, full suffrage was also extended to women in Italy and Yugoslavia in 1945, Malta in 1947, Belgium in 1948, Greece in 1952. If there there is any doubt that these advances resulted directly from the Second World War, consider that women from neutral Switzerland did not win full suffrage until 1971, and women in neutral Portugal had to wait until 1976. In Asia, the story was the same. Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese and Indonesian women all won full voting rights in the 1940s. Meanwhile, the only Latin American and Caribbean countries to grant universal suffrage before the war were Brazil, Uruguay and Cuba. But during and after the war, almost all the others quickly followed suit. Paraguay was the last, holding out until 1961. The rights of women were also finally recognised on an international level in 1945 by the United Nations. The UN Charter opens with a declaration of intent not only to save the world from future wars, but also to promote the rights, the equal rights of uh, men and women and of nations large and small. By 1946, a UN Commission on the, on the, rights of, on the status of women had already been set up which would play a significant role in the drafting of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. This landmark document, published in 1948, finally spelled out how all members of the human family should be afforded the same rights, dignity and worth. 
On the face of it, therefore, the stage appeared to be set for a new era in which women who had grown up without fundamental rights might at last begin to take their rightful place in the economic, political and social life of the world. The hopes that were expressed by many women in France and across the world were unashamedly utopian. Even Simone de Beauvoir, the uh, uh, sort of pioneering uh, um, French feminist philosopher, who savaged criticisms of French patriarchy pulled no punches, allowed herself to dream of a time in the not-too-distant future where men and women would see each other as equals and unequivocally affirm their brotherhood. So here here we have this um, interesting moment where things appear as if they might be um, taking a a kind of a step towards massive kind of emancipatory gains, massive um, sorts of um, egalitarian moves forward. Obviously, whilst there was no doubt correspondence between many of these movements, there is little coordination most things are done at a national level um and even if that wasn't the case the 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 chances of uh being able to to withstand a prolonged onslaught from a national government particularly a a patriarchal one is 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 pretty unlikely um in most instances you have or in a great many instances, you have newly emancipated nations that have either thrown off the the, the kind of the uh, occupation of the Axis powers, or they are countries in the late 1940s and 1950s that are emerging from French, British, Dutch, Belgian colonialism uh, into uh, in- independence. In many of these countries, you have strong uh, nationalist movements, very often male-led nationalist movements, who they say, you know, we've kicked out the foreigners, we've got our country back, we're looking after our own affairs, uh, and we are now going to kind of reorganise things in a broadly patriarchal way. And I think that's one reason why you have this um, wave of retrenchment. But there are other reasons as well. Uh, emancipatory politics of any stripe isn't particularly desired by male politicians as countries around the world decide which side of the Cold War they're going to be on. Um, and also, the, the 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 weakening of patriarchal control that the war uh, brought about, you know, being uh, defeated and occupied by Germany or Japan or um, having setbacks like the fall of Singapore for male uh, politicians and soldiers is a profoundly emasculating affair. And the the reassertion of uh, masculine power needed to be be kind of unconditionally understood at the end of the war. So, Keith Lowe writes, Unfortunately, this was where the progress towards equality ground to a halt. Never was this more apparent than France, given the huge transformations that took place there as a result of the war. It's tempting to portray the French as a nation of firebrands, but in reality the forces of conservatism were very, every bit as strong as the forces of revolution. It was uh, all very well for the resistance members to champion women's rights, 
But much of the rest of French society, which had merely kept its collective head down during the occupation, wanted only for the world to return to the way it had been before the war. When French prisoners of war returned home in 1945, they expected to resume their positions as head of the family, regardless of how well their wives had run things in their absence. Women were too often uh, relieved to be able to return to the traditional roles they had grown up with, rather than struggling to invent new functions for themselves in public life. They were tired of the conflict and wanted to return to a normal life. That's an important point to acknowledge as well, that, that there were plenty of women who didn't want to have to be the kind of model of the modern woman that we imagine uh, and were happy to return to domestic life because it was easier. And uh, it, I mean, it often depends on how comfortable an existence that is because it's not necessarily comfortable for all everybody materially or emotionally but you know if it was there was something attractive in that especially after uh, periods of um, extreme hardship nor is it strictly true to suggest that the majority of, um, of men in the resistance regarded their female counterparts as equals Jean Bohec, um, the experienced female explosives expert in Saint-Marcel, complained that she was quickly sidelined as soon as young men began to join the Force Française de l'Intérieur, um, the FFI. She wanted to take part in the liberation, but was told politely to forget about it. A woman isn't supposed to fight when so many men are available. Yet surely I knew how to use a submachine gun better than a lot of the FFI volunteers who had just got hold of these arms. In Italy, female partisans were often banned from taking part in triumphal march pasts after the liberation. Those who did were often branded whores. As the war drew to an end, the pressures for women to return to traditional roles were often irresistible. Churches, governments, schools, and even the brand new women's magazines like Elle and Marie France that first appeared on the market after the war all exhorted women to return to the home. In August 1946, one woman wrote to Elle explaining her desire to take a job against her fiancé's wishes. The magazine told her bluntly, Your fiancé is right. The place of the married woman is at home, before going on to suggest that if she was unwilling to, um, to bow to her fiancé's wishes, then perhaps she did not truly love him after all. Women must create happiness, claimed another magazine. A uh, woman must uh, create happiness, claimed another magazine. She will do this best in her home. The home and only the home is a true professional milieu. At school, girls were taught with textbooks that they would that um, that told them explicitly that true happiness was in the home, and that a woman's absence from the home weakens family life. The government, meanwhile, exhorted women to get back only indoors, uh, not only indoors, but into the bedroom, as increased birth rates was announced as a national priority. And all kinds of benefits, including tax breaks and extra rations, were announced for mothers. De Gaulle himself proclaimed that he wanted 12 million new babies to help with the reconstruction of France. According to Robert Prigent, the Minister of Population and Public Health immediately after the war, women's true fulfilment lay in accepting their feminine nature 
and devoting themselves to the homes of their children. So there's a whole whole bunch to say say about that and these kind of natalist policies, which were um, not just the preserve of of fascist states at, at, at all, uh, and the idea that there must be a kind of like a a, a drive for um, national rejuvenation after the horrors of the war, uh, and that women and childbirth would be one of the ways that you you could do that. But also, particularly in France, the shame and the humiliation of the defeat uh, and and occupation haunted particularly French men after the war and the ideas amongst many of them uh, whilst there were some egalitarian former resistance people many men uh, felt that their sense of, of kind of masculine pride had been undermined and, and needed to to be restored and restoring traditional empowered conservative uh, ideas of masculinity and femininity um, empowering, empowering for men anyway was one way to do it and you find a version of this uh, around the world you don't really see um, a resurgence of um, popular feminism internationally of course until the 1960s after two decades of rising living standards and social change um, and cultural change and increased education and um, uh, educational and work opportunities for women, women you see this this second um, wave of feminism around the the mid to late sixties and the nineteen seventies, um, and the, the 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 kind of the restoration of patriarchal control in many many countries is is very successful. Um, in the the 1940s it would be nice to say that there was this some sort of um, generational connection between the two but I, I have I've yet to see evidence that sort of somehow um, these women's struggles in the 1940s directly inspired the women's struggles of the the late 1960s they seem to have uh, they seem to be the product of, of other forces Okay, there we're going to finish. Uh, we've got some great interviews coming up in the next few weeks. Some really, really exciting stuff I want to announce, but I won't do yet because you know you want to. Uh, you can all, things can always be cancelled last minute, and you wind up looking a bit stupid. Um, still putting new content on explaininghistory.org, uh, so do check it out. I'll put a link down in the show notes. Um, week by week, I'm adding to the Russian history syllabus on there, and then we'll probably move on to Germany or, or the USA or you know depends what i decide uh, anyway i hope you find this useful thanks very much for your time and th- i uh, thanks very much for everyone who supports the explaining history podcast
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.